What's up, guys? This is We Don't Know Yet, a podcast where you learn something new every day. Today is just going to be a show with Brian and myself, and we're going to be talking about a book that I was really, really, I am really into. I haven't finished it yet, by the way. I do this a lot. I think I suggested this book to you, Brian, like, what, a month and a half ago, right? Months ago. It was a long time ago. You told me to read it a while ago. Chill, brother. It was like a month and a half ago. It wasn't all you exaggerating ass. It wasn't. I'm that here. Long I'm ago. here. I'm here. Really trying to just give you props, but all right, it doesn't matter. It wasn't. That it was a while ago. It wasn't that long ago. Go ahead. It was right after. Yeah. No. No. Mm. You're right. It might have been a minute because I remember we were still in quarantine. But you're right, though, right? Shut up, man. Okay, so yeah, you're you're right about this. It was like five months ago. Um, but let but me I ask thought, you this: Go for why, it. Man. Before you, you you talk about the the book and we start talking about it, why did you pick this book? Because I thought it was a really interesting pick. Yeah. So uh, we actually had the author Stephen Kotler. Um, he we had him on the Power Project, and I tried to kind of get the idea of this book because this is the book that he came to the podcast to talk about. So I went through a little bit of it. And it was really intriguing to me because the whole idea of flow states in and of itself is something that um, I would like more and more people to be able to tap into. Um, mm -hmm. Like the, the main place where I feel that is with jujitsu. Um, and I can also feel that when I'm like sitting down and I'm really focused, then I can just start creating and just start thinking different things as far as work is concerned. Um, but being able to like get into that is it feels it really just feels amazing it's i can't compare it to anything when i like get into a flow state when i'm doing jujitsu and everything is absolutely automatic i'm not thinking of anything i'm doing all the practice that i've put in is showing through the actions that my body is taking and the actions that my body is taking is not coming from thought it's just coming from all of the experience and all of the training that i've done it's exhilarating. And then your body starts doing and creating things that you've never done before. Like when I'm on the mat and I'm, I, I do a weird submission or get into a weird position that I've never done. And it's just like, it just, it's instinctual. That right there, I used to feel that when I played soccer, that right there is something that like, when you can tap into that, you just feel, you literally feel superhuman. Right. You feel like a superhero. You feel like right. a superhero. It's like, yeah. yeah. Um, Cutler had this book, um, The Rise of Superman, and that was his first book that he created about flow back in mm. 2012. And it was kind of like a, a guide to be able to achieve like flow states. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, man, it's it's something else. It's like, it's something else. So that's why I like this book a lot. And I also like this book because like, um, in the beginning of it, I think it could be of benefit to a lot of people nowadays because i mean we can see that there are a lot of different avenues for work you know right, work right. that you actually are interested in um, mm -hmm. but it actually provides a decent guideline for you yourself to figure out what that work is and figure out what that interest look like looks like because a big part of being able to actually achieve flow is your interest level if you're not interested in the work you're doing it's going to be extremely hard to achieve flow with it because you already don't enjoy it, right? Exactly. So that's a big factor to it too. That's really good. I think you already mentioned it, but this is Art of Impossible by Stephen mm -hmm. Kotler. 
part of impossible yeah and this is his latest book correct mm -hmm. yeah so Nsima got me on this and i was unaware of flow states to be honest or maybe i was aware of it but i didn't know that there was a term assigned to it because similar to what you mentioned that that kind of like instinctual like response to things that doesn't happen every day you know what i'm saying and it happens maybe when um like you said there's a passion there's a motivation and you have some type of experience in whatever you're doing whatever activity so for you it's jujitsu in the past it was soccer i can think of like folks who play music right who play the piano and you just go into the state and you're just like playing these crazy bars and just like whoa where'd that come from i think most recently for me i'm not rolling anymore but i've experienced that a bit with djing because i did a concert a little pop-up not too long ago and i'm still an amateur i'm still figuring things out but there'll be moments where I know exactly what to do, or I didn't plan it and it just happens and it sounds great. And I was just like, wait, what happened? Like, I need to take a note, but it's just that flow. And I was like, oh, this is what it is. This is what this book is mentioning. So maybe before we jump into flow states, cause I feel like that's probably gonna be the second half of our conversation. Can you talk a little bit more about the first part of the book? Cause it talks a little bit about motivation and learning and like what kind of goals you need to set up to even like kind of, like you said, figure out purpose and figure out like, you know, what does that flow state look like to you or what purposeful work or purposeful activities look like for you? Could you like maybe expand on that a bit? Yeah, I'll try to do my best on this because I'm not. Yeah, yeah what yeah, he does sure. is like he has the 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 big idea. It's like you want to figure out what your massive transformational purpose is, right? The, the book is called The Art of Impossible. And the, the whole idea is that there are these capital I impossible, these massive goals that maybe some people have that when said to individuals, um, like if, if someone were to say, I want to transform the lives of a million men, right? Somebody would look at them and be like, that doesn't really seem possible. But then you take that massive I am possible and you, you, you take that massive transformational purpose and you break it down into smaller things. So like, I think a cool thing is like, he starts people off on the idea of, okay, well, if you were going to spend a weekend, you know, like, like first off, write down all the things that like you'd be interested in, just like interested in reading about watching a documentary about whether it's fishing, whether it's the brain, whether it's, you know, whatever. And then he has you go a level deeper into specifics, right? And then after that, after you break it down to like, you could make this list of 15 to 20 things, you'll then try to figure out, okay, what are the through lines between all of the things that I'm really interested in? So what are the through lines behind, you know, maybe let's say myself, uh, flexibility and mobility, and the way the brain handles stress and jujitsu and lifting, like what are the, all the through lines that can be created here? Mm -hmm. And then after you figure out those through lines, you can then have a very specific thing that is like your niche of your niche of interest. But then you now have also all the things that you are legitimately interested in. And then you can see how you can start learning more and more and more about that. 
it's a process that takes a lot of writing. It's a process that takes a lot of thinking. But I think that especially nowadays, you know, I know people who, instead of taking the time, like we've talked about self-authoring, where you really go deep, this book, you really go deep, right? You take the time to think about why you want to do these things. You take the time to also figure out, first off, what am I actually really interested in? Because again, like we mentioned earlier in this conversation, if you're not actually interested in the thing that you're doing, say you're just doing it because the money's good or mm -hmm. just doing it, it's going to be very hard to first off, get to a high level and do it for a very long time. You're going to burn out. A big reason why a lot of individuals burn out with work and burn out with jobs is because they truly don't enjoy it. But number two, it's going to be literally impossible to achieve a state of flow to achieve a state of like non-effort when doing that because you're truly not interested in it. So that's why we just start with the base things. What are you just actually interested in? And if you do that work, like legit, like you could be like interested in video games and then interested in, you know, creating videos and you could, you could, you could have all these interests and you could boil them down into something that's now actionable that you can now move forward with, with a clear purpose all falling in line with your potential massive transformational purpose, which is the big impossible thing. But you start with that big thing. And then it's like, you now create the steps, the staircase necessary to reach that big impossible goal. Did you get to the part about Peter Diamandis? No, I didn't even cash out. What part was that? I think this is a really interesting thing. Um, Peter Diamandis, his goal. He I think this was back in like 2008 or 2009, something like that. But Peter Diamandis wanted to create a, uh, a rocket ship that was reusable. Mm -hmm. Get into space, bring it back, use it again. Get in space, bring it back, use it again. Um, a bunch of people from NASA, a bunch of individuals in the space said, number one, that's impossible. Okay. Um, you're not going to be able to do that. Uh, it's going to cost billions upon billions of dollars. And uh, what happened was a few years later, with some help from some other individuals, he was able to do it. And it, I think it cost less than 30 million. So it was like $26 million to actually create and do, right? It wasn't the billions that everyone was saying it was. It was. $26 million, I think. So a large sum of money. But was this in partnership with Elon and SpaceX or was this a different? I think effort? it might have been in partnership with Elon and SpaceX. It might have yeah. been. But that's like that's the whole idea. It's like, you know, when you actually start working towards that goal and you create steps, like I think um another aspect of the book that was really beneficial was uh Elon Musk talking about. Um, his, what's the thought process first, um, what's it called? First principles thinking, first mm -hmm. principles thinking, break things down into their smallest parts because before SpaceX, um, you know, Elon Musk really wanted to get to space and he wants to build a spaceship and, and build a shuttle, et cetera. Um, but actually purchasing a shuttle was extremely, extremely expensive. Like, all, like again, crazy amounts of money. But he was like, okay, um, what is the price of aluminum? What is the price of X? What are the price of all the small components needed to actually build a rocket? And it was like literally tenths 
uh, the price of actually just like, mm. you know, purchasing a large rocket ship. And within a few years, he built those within SpaceX for a fraction of the cost that it would have been to actually purchase those and start something in that fashion, right? So that's why at the beginning of this book, we start with first principles. What are you interested in? What's that big goal? Okay, what are the small things you're interested in that maybe have a through line with this big goal, right? So now you can start figuring out all the small steps you can take and all the small steps you need to take to be able to get to that big thing that you are truly interested in doing. Again, though, you see with all of these things, it takes time. It's mm. going to take you weeks upon weeks to kind of figure out your path. But if you can do that, then you're going to have a very clear understanding on where your focus should be. You said a number of things that I love, and I really want to harp on what you mentioned about goal setting. I feel like everyone understands that smart goals are necessary and in school talks about, you know, make sure that your goals, you know, aren't just, you know, void of reality, right? Are they smart goals? Are they realistic? Do they have a time frame, et cetera? But I love that he talks about this here because as you mentioned, it helps you achieve and maintain motivation. And a lot of times you could be, highly motivated at the start of an activity, but it always wanes. Everybody loves to go to the gym on, on January 1st, but by the end of, or halfway through February, they're empty again, right? Mm. And so that's where you see a lot of motivational speakers, a lot of life coaches having the pull and influence they have is because people need those bursts of motivation. They need someone to say, hey, get up, ET's, you know, put out this video or Gary V puts out a video and now I'm hyped. I'm ready for the day. Whereas it should be an internal process. So if you're setting great goals, like you said, through meditation and um, journaling, things of that nature, or even just going through processes like self-authoring with Jordan Peterson, it helps you to be aware of this is what I like. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm, I feel like I'm purposed for. And what are the building blocks? What are the stepping stones that help me get to, like you said, that capital I impossible task? Um, the thing that I wanted to hit at was, yeah, motivation is like this cyclical process. And without it, like it, it really leads to whatever we're called to do not happening. So like you mentioned before, like if you're building a business or you want to know more about, I don't know, uh, going to a particular profession, it's like, what it, if I decompose it to its smallest units and I'm thinking about what do I need to do in order to get to a certain step or a certain place, um, whenever you get, let's say you get from, uh, I want to start a business. The first thing I got to do is um, I got I to gotta file my business license with the city. Once I do that, it'll feel like I check, you know, like that feeling when you check something off and you're like, oh, you feel all good inside. Mm -hmm. That gives you that small bit of motivation to go to the next step and then to the next step. So you're not worried about 26 steps later. I'm just trying to get to step two, step three. So I really love that in keeping people like motivated long-term. So do you feel like that was the case? Cause I want to use jujitsu as an analogy throughout and I will use DJ from, from my end. Do you feel like that was something you used as far as like building blocks 
like when you're a white belt, I just want to get to this level. And then when you got there to this level, instead of like, oh, when I get a blue belt or when I get a purple belt, when I get a black belt, did those small building blocks help you to keep you motivated? Because we all know when you're a jujitsu and you're a white belt, that's the worst place to be. No one wants to be a white belt. You're getting crushed every day. Um, and, and most often when you're a white belt, blue belt, people wane off. I left and I was a white belt. It wasn't for me. So what was some of those building blocks you had to put in place to keep going? Um, you know, what's interesting before I mention anything about the building blocks, he mentioned something that I find to be very true in um, not just professions, but in sport. Um, the highest rates of uh, quitting for individuals with anything. And when he said anything, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Low novice and high intermediate. Because, because when you're a low novice, you have some understanding of things and you know, you think you're okay. Right. Um, but you don't necessarily like you have a good enough understanding to know that there is so much more that you don't really know. And you can see that there is a lot to learn and that's demotivating high intermediate. You're, you're okay. Like you're not advanced yet, but you're okay. But now you're in the situation where it's very easy to get comfortable with what you know. You know that you probably have an understanding. You have a Pareto understanding of what you're doing. Pareto being the 80-20 the, the principle. So you know that 80 where you can get by and be okay. And now it's like, huh, do I really want to spend this time getting into the real nitty gritty necessities to become an advanced person at whatever it is this is? Those are the highest levels of and those are the places with the highest percentage of individuals, not quitting necessarily, but stopping their learning. So if you're, you know, if you're in a job and you're in a high intermediate position, you're okay. You can coast. You don't need to really progress anymore. Um, you can, you can coast at it. That's a place where people get comfortable and they just stop their progression. A high percentage of people stop. They don't get to the place where those advanced, extremely high level people lie. And then low novice is another place where people tend to maybe quit or coast just because they can see everything that they don't know. And it's now a daunting task to try to take upon themselves. Right. With that being said, if we were to make the comparison between low novice and a high intermediate, as far as jujitsu is concerned, low novice would be an in a place where somebody gets their blue belt. That's why you see the highest level of individuals that quit jujitsu are blue belts and then um, blue belts and brown belts. Like when people typically get their brown belt, that's really? another place where you see them kind of dip off if they've gone that far, if they are going to quit. Just because again, from let's get from brown to black, it's like you're messing people up, but you are comfortable. You can mess up a majority of people that do jujitsu as a brown belt. You will mess that's up- point. You'll mess up a majority of people that do jujitsu, but now are you willing to take the necessary steps of learning and the stress and the, the, <laughs> the ability to get advanced enough to actually become a black belt? A lot don't. A lot kind of just like slowly fall off. They start doing something else because now they know a majority of what is known. Um, and that last bit is just 
it's not absolutely necessary, right? And you can see that in the workforce. You can see that in the workplace too. Like you can you can think of things as far as professions, et cetera, where like some people stop when they've you know kind of gotten comfortable at the beginning. Like maybe say you mm-hmm. become a new personal trainer and you just chill there. You don't really try to progress because you can get by. There's a lot of stuff you don't really know, but you can get by. Um, and then higher levels of business, it's the same kind of thing. So that was that was just an interesting little tidbit that he had that I was like, wow, you can you see that in a lot of things. But as far as the building blocks are concerned, um, for me in jujitsu, like I always had the end goal of like being a high level competing black belt. So I want to be able to fuck competing black belts, not just, you know, people in class, not just, you know, people here. I want to be able to be at a competition level because competition black belt is very different from just your training black belt. Um, So, you know, I knew that from the beginning and everything has been in reach of that goal. That's why the first two years where I'm consistently getting effed up by my training partners, I was able to kind of move through that because I knew, okay, this is a stage where I'm going to suck like real hard. Um, But it's just something that I need to be able to go through if I'm going to get to that big goal. Mm Mm-hmm. So I want to add something to what you mentioned earlier. I love how you distinguish the low novice and the high intermediate, but I'm not sure what, how to kind of frame it or how to name it, define it, whatever. But I feel Mm -hmm. like there's a, there's a third party or maybe a third group. And I'm going to use the jujitsu analogy just to kind of paint what I'm thinking, but there are the folks who quit. They're the folks who learn that 80-20 rule and just don't want to go that last 20%. But I feel like there's the folks who, because again, we're, we're talking about purpose, not purpose, passion and motivation. Could it be that there's a third group that potentially realize that they are in love with the outcome and not in love with the process? And so they pivot. So an example of that is, someone who uh, is rolling and they're like, look, I'm going to be a martial artist. I'm going to know jujitsu, Muay Thai and boxing. Those are my three styles I'm going to fight in. Realize that "Mm, that's not so much the style or maybe that's my outcome that I want, but the process to get there, I'm not too in love with that process. I actually love striking and I rather do Taekwondo. I'm going to pivot doesn't say you'll still be a, a martial artist, but you're not going to have jujitsu as one of your foundational elements. Is that safe to say that there's maybe that third party um, folks who just pivot? Or does it fit in one of those two groups you already mentioned? I want to make a lot of money. You know, I want to make tons of money or I want to become famous but I'm just thinking of like general goals that people say they have, right? But they're not willing to do the certain things to do that, right? Everyone, like everyone says the things like, oh, I want, some people just like want to be famous for famous' sake or some people just want to make a lot of money, but I'm just trying to like figure that out. I think that if you, you see like, I want to be a martial artist, that's a very general goal. It's like, you're not, there's no pivoting even going on there because you're just going to another martial art so you're just choosing to forego a martial art for a different martial art with the same exact goal, except it's a different process. Like if you choose Taekwondo, you're still going to become a high level individual in Ta- like Taekwondo, a high level martial artist, but you just chose a different martial art. So it's not like, 
I don't think that's a category. I think it's just doing something different to get to the same goal. You know what I mean? Let me use a different example then. Okay. So let's think about Kobe. So Kobe is a Hall of Famer mm-hmm. and a five-time NBA champion. Mm-hmm. So his outcome was, I wanted to be a Hall of Famer and I want to win. I think his goal was six. I think he was trying to match Jordan. Yeah, he wanted to match Jordan. So he wanted to win six rings. Mm-hmm. But the thing with Kobe, because a lot of people want to be Hall of Famers. First of all, people want to just get to NBA. Then people want to be an all-star. They want to be a Hall of Famer. But a lot of people weren't in love with the process. So Kobe, even after he wins a championship, like everybody would talk about how he might take a week off. He's back in the gym. He might even he might not even take a week off. He might take a day off and he's back shooting hoops, working on mm-hmm. things because he's in love. Not because, oh, yeah, of course, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's in love with the process of getting there. Now, if you realize that you're not in because it's OK if you don't want to be AI, I think after they play the game, he's like, AI, what you about to do after the game? He's like, I'm going to the club. I'm about to I'm about to party. We just won the game. Kobe's like, I'm about to go work out. He's like, I'm not trying to work out after we just played two hours of basketball. I'm going to go chill. You don't have to be in love with the process necessarily. But I think the point that I'm trying to get across is, is there a third group potentially that realize that's not for me? I'm not trying to be in, I'm not in love with the process as much as someone else. I'm mm. going to pivot into something that I am in love with. Does that's that make just sense? the person that chose the wrong goal. Like if you 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 is literally it? just cho- yeah because that's not AI did not reach the levels of Kobe right AI he's was a, great he's a Hall he's of Famer a, but he how many rings does AI have but that that's no that's no no but but, but, but whole, real quick that's a whole other conversation if we're talking but, about greatness here like like look like Kobe had five rings AI was an amazing player with amazing talents everyone said that even in in, in high school they're like he could have like gone to be a pro football wide receiver because right. of his talents he was just an amazingly talented disgustingly just skilled and talented coordinated specimen of a human being right he didn't need to practice as much as Kobe right if he did maybe he would like maybe first off he would have lasted longer in the in the league maybe he would have gotten rings but he still played basketball he was still great he still became a hall of famer but was he as great as kobe no he was not as great as kobe because he didn't have the process that kobe had to achieve greatness within that sport he was still great yeah no no, he was still great but not kobe level like that's of course there's there's differences there right so it's not that i feel like let me let me hit on the the ring part because it's the same in the NFL. Like rings aren't. I hear your point, and I. I, ho- I mean, I but let's just okay. Then let's just look like at the players' the careers. The rings aren't. The rings aren't like a reflection because we look at Jordan. Jordan was smoking cigarettes, smoking cigars, drinking. Look at Shaq. Shaq could have lasted maybe another two or three years, but his diet and he hated to work out. But he has four rings. Why do so we look at not, Kobe so much though? But let, then let's look at this. Yeah, Why yeah, do we look yeah. at Kobe? So, so the point that I'm trying to drive across is not that it's about, you don't necessarily, because your point was that if you chose, if you chose not to love the process, you picked the wrong goal. But AI didn't like the process. He's still a Hall of Famer. Shaq didn't like the process. He still won four rings. Jordan didn't like the process. He has, he's greatest of all time. So that's what I'm saying that some people realize that, look, that's not for me. They pivot, 
they leave or they just choose not to do it. They might have similar outcomes or not. They Okay, so this is the thing. Like right now, I think it's kind of tough because we're using Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, I'm just picking. Specimen. I know, I know, but but let, let, let's yeah. let let's look at this. Shaquille O'Neal got fat, still a specimen of human being. Seven one, two hundred eighty pounds, diesel. They called him Superman because he was immovable. Genetic elite doesn't need to work as hard as his compatriots to be able to achieve some of the same things. Michael Jordan also genetically elite, also had a 46 inch vertical, also did work disgustingly hard, but had his fun on the side. We could put in Dennis Rodman into this too, because Dennis Rodman was someone who um, was a specimen of a human being, but he also had this just a, a ability to go deep as far as grit is concerned that nobody else had, even after partying and whatever. He just went about it in a different way. He would go mm. get practice and he would mess everybody else in practice. Then he'd be in the club for a few nights, come back and people up in games. He still got that work in towards that goal. So like what you're saying here is people pivot. Like I don't even think any of those individuals pivoted. Iverson didn't pivot. Shaq didn't pivot. Dennis Rodman didn't pivot. Jordan didn't pivot. They just had different processes to achieve their big goals because they still achieved those things. Now we're talking about people who are like, hey, I want to get in really good shape. I want to I want to have a six pack or whatever. Right. Um, maybe they start training in the gym and they find out that the gym's not for them. So maybe they start doing running and that's the thing that they like. That's not a pivot. You're still heading towards the same goal. You just have a different process. Right. I think that more so that's, that's, that's a totally different thing. You're still achieving the same exact goal of getting yourself a six pack and in better shape. But instead of lifting weights, you choose to become a marathon runner because you love the runners high. And it's a process that you like more than the gym. And it's a process that you're truly interested in. All of this goes back into interest, right? If you truly, you know, if that is truly something you're interested in doing, um, then that end goal, then you just need to figure out the process necessary for you to get there. And you need to dig through that process. I hear that. See what I'm saying? So, I mean, like, I, I know we're looking at this, like, what is the third group? Uh, I don't, if, if it's like aligning with this, it's like maybe that group, either it's people who chose the wrong big goal because they realize they're not willing to do what they need to do to achieve that goal. So some people want to be actors, but they have massive anxiety and they're not willing to actually put in the work to make a reel, put in the work to actually put themselves out there and get some work. And they realize, Hmm, I really don't want that. Those are just people who realize that they're going towards the wrong thing because maybe they're not cut out for it. They're not that interested in it to do what they need to do to get there. Potentially. I'm trying to put myself in this, in that boat to try to drive my point home. But I think it does fall under what you mentioned around interest. So I like, remember- are you, are you like with jujitsu? Is that what you mean? You know? Yeah, I'll use that example. So I remember you asked me a few times, like, hey, are you going to roll? Like, are you coming back? And I realized that, I love it as a sport, as a martial art, but am I passionate in it? No. So am I gonna love the process? No, because I'm not gonna love coming to training. Nobody loves coming to training, but I don't love the process of getting myself to the outcome that I wanna see. So if that's the point, or if that's the case, 
then it's not for me. So let me shift into a different martial art. Let me shift into a different sport, Let's shift into training in a different way. But that's for me yeah. because I, I'm not interested in it. And that's, okay. I'm, I think that's a good example, but I don't know where you about to take it. So this is one thing that I found really interesting. And it was the initial part of learning something that uh, Stephen Kotler was talking about within the book, which I think is really interesting. And I also think that there's a, there's a section where he distilled the value of books and the value of reading um, where I, like, I like to read as is, but this put just like such a different, um, such a different level of importance on it that I didn't used to really think about. When a lot of these authors write books, like Matthew Walker wrote this book, Why We Sleep, an amazing book. If you read that book, you'll be able to, you know, really fix your bad sleep habits and figure out why a lot of things are wrong. But that book is probably 12 years of research distilled into 500 and 600 pages for our understanding. So if we were to read that book, we would have, we wouldn't understand maybe all of the mechanisms that go behind what he's speaking about, but we would understand about 12 years of his work in a condensed form mm -hmm. that would take us maybe eight hours to read, right? Stephen Kotler's book, The Art of Superman, or not The Art of Superman, The um, Rise of Superman, was 15 years of his research and flow distilled into whatever, that amount of pages, right? Mm -hmm. um, and condensed so we could take it and apply it, right? So, I mean, a lot of people right now, they've taken their information from mainly YouTube videos, um, blog posts, um, some people TikTok, um, and like he 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 put he kind of like even had he had this like equation of like what typical authors put into the the time it takes to write a blog post an eight hundred word blog post that would take an individual ten minutes to read um, mm -hmm. that eight hundred post uh, blog post is usually going to be as far as their work it's maybe. 10 hours of their actual work or understanding distilled, right? But a book is legitimate years of understanding. Now, now let's take that. He said that there's a process when it comes to trying to learn something that you're interested in. Maybe let's say you're interested in the way emotion, let's say you're interested in emotions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the way the brain responds to different things as far as like emotion and psychology. So your first book would be something that's really light and fun that would kind of have to do with the topic. Um, just like a, a big general understanding, not too much crazy jargon, but an easy, nice way of introducing you to the topic. Mm. Book number two, you get a little bit deeper, maybe. And, and these are all maybe suggested readings that you find. Number two, you get a little bit deeper. You get a little bit more, more jargon. Book number three is going to be a little bit heavier than that. Okay, um, maybe it's a little bit longer, a little bit more dense, but because you had book one and two, right? Book three, now you're able to maybe understand a few more things. Mm. Book four, you get even deeper. And book five is typically something that's pretty heavy on that topic. That's not where you stop though. You don't stop with those five books, but if you read those five books, you now have a general understanding of the topic at hand where you can now probably have good conversation with others on that topic. Now is when you start reaching out 
before you start reaching out to mentors or individuals in, in this field, you need to have at least done these, read these five books so that now when you have, or you want to go reach out to these real professionals in these fields, you don't waste their time with stupid questions. You can have an intelligent conversation and an intelligent you know, conversation about what you're talking about and questions that you want to ask and what you want to learn here. So you can now navigate even deeper into those waters, but you need mm -hmm. to start with those five books. Okay. Potentially five, maybe more books. It's not an, again, it's not an easy process, but if you can do that, I mean, think about the, think about the, the, the ability there, but now I'm going to come back to what you were mentioning about jujitsu because jujitsu is a difficult thing because the white belt portion of jujitsu, it's the exact opposite. We're taking the opposite order here, okay? Because book one, as far as learning about something was supposed to be fun and enjoyable, right? But as a white belt, everything is daunting. Everything is difficult. You don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're being flooded with things that you don't understand, okay? It's like, it's like you want to learn about brain chemistry and you chose the toughest book on brain chemistry to be the first to read. Like, right. You don't understand anything that's coming your way. You're reading all this jargon that you simply can't get the hold of. And you have to freaking, you have to read a, read a word and go to Google, look up the word, read another word, go to Google, look up that word. It's like, everything mm -hmm. is just, just you're drowning. You're constantly drowning for years until something clicks and then it gets a little bit easier. Then it gets a little bit easier. And People like to say, oh, when you get your black belt, your journey is just beginning, blah, blah, blah. It's nice and it's esoteric. But to be perfectly honest, when you get to black belt, you have a really good understanding of the general aspects of the martial art. And if you are looking at something, you can have an intelligent conversation about high-level jujitsu and understand the jargon um, at black belt level, right? Progressing from there, yeah, there's little things you can continue to get better at all the time. But that is the sigh of relief place of jujitsu because now you you're not flooded you're not drowning that's why a lot of people end up quitting at the beginning because it's it's not set up in a way that is that is fun to learn in the beginning mm -hmm. when we want to learn something we're personally interested in we can set things up in a way that it's enjoyable but when it comes to something like that like that martial art there's no way for the beginning to be. I did not have fun in the beginning, straight up. I did not have fun at white belt. I did not have fun at the beginning of blue belt. It was really, it was tough. I mean, my strength played a role in, in like being helpful, but I also realized when I got my ass beat at Worlds that it doesn't matter how strong you are, if you don't have good technique, you're gonna get fucked up. So I was drowning in the beginning, but I had to deal with drowning. I, I didn't. I didn't like it, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? So I think that's the no one, Yeah, aspect. no one does. No one does. Yeah. Now, bringing it back to this book, and I think that if more people understood what the flow state was, I think that, again, even using jujitsu as an example, if there were white belts listening to this conversation right now, if there were ways to trigger a flow state even if you don't know what the heck is going on, if you could find ways to, and it doesn't have to be jujitsu, it could be anything in your life. If there's ways to trigger um, kind of acting like responsively to what's happening around you, I think a lot more people would be more inclined to stay with something because they feel like, all right, it's not something I have to like 
mentally like think through it's like i'm just responding um obviously that's a little different for jujitsu but i want to dive into flow state because i think i was listening to a conversation the author was having with an audience and the way he was mentioning it i don't know about you it reminded me of the avatar state He's like, all right, I'm gonna teach you guys. Yeah. I'll teach you guys how to get into the flow state now. And I was like, flow state? Well, we're, we're, we're opening chakras. What are we doing now? So I, I was just, I was just intently listening. I was like, this guy's talking about superhero powers. But I love that the first trigger, because he mentions twenty triggers, um, ten for individuals, ten for groups. And how do you activate this flow state? How do you guys get a lot more work done? How are you um, in your um, your athletic pursuits, like doing the best you can? And people break records. People win gold medals because they enter flow states, not because of, you know, obviously you're using all of your lived experience, but you get into this place where you're just doing, you're just doing it. So the first thing, and I love that he says it, is to, remove all of your external and your internal distractions. And that goes back to, uh, what was it? Cal Newport in deep work. Yeah. And it's like, I'm so, I, I try all my, all the time to like silence my phone and put the do not disturb and all these other things, but I still realize I'm heavily distracted. And I realize why am I not entering the space where I'm just getting things done. But when I'm DJing, if people aren't trying to talk to me, people aren't trying to ask me like request songs and do all this weird stuff. If I'm able to just do my thing, I realize th it becomes like clockwork. I don't have to like look at my notes or anything. I'm just, I'm just doing, I'm turning echoes up. I'm turning sound up and it feels like a seamless song. It feels like one big song from beginning mm -hmm. to end. And that's when you know like, Ooh, I got something special. But if you start hearing breaks and it's like weird ups and weird highs and lows and, it starts feeling disjointed. So what were some of the triggers that call it, that really popped out most for you? We can talk about all the 10, but I feel like y'all can go pick up the book. Just tell me a couple that stood out to you. Um, a big thing for me was, um, well, when we started, when you and I started talking about Stoic philosophy years ago, it got me going down a rabbit hole of, like understanding that um, along with the rabbit hole of like meditation, um, mm -hmm. which are like meditations I have, and I have until this day. But when, when I like, when I meditate, it's not that I'm trying to, I'm not trying to stop myself from thinking thoughts. I'm not trying to focus on my breathing. You know, mm. I'm trying to be aware of everything that's happening. When thoughts come, I'm aware that I'm now thinking of something else. When my breathing happens, I'm not controlling my breathing, my inhales and my exhales. They're just happening naturally as my body feels that it needs to inhale and exhale. I'm experiencing everything. and I'm aware of the experience. I'm just being aware. That's all that meditation is for me when I meditate. I'm just being aware of all the sounds going on around me. I'm not trying to focus on anything, but I'm aware of, oh, and I've started thinking of this. Okay, cool. You know, and that's one thing that he talks about. He talks about emotional intelligence, but I think that, uh, and also lack of distraction. But I think a big thing that has helped me out with, can I guess, not getting distracted easily has been meditation. Because like now, when I get an urge 
to pick up my phone, I'm aware of that feeling of getting the urge and without, instead of me instinctively reaching for my phone and doing what I do. And in the middle of the act, I'm like, wait, why am I doing this? I instead make the choice when the feeling arises, hey, I'm just going to do that later, right? Mm. Most people are living on autopilot where they're whatever, it's like something that comes up in them that makes them want to do something. I want to check Instagram. I want to, you know, distract myself with this. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling anxious. So like this, rather than being on autopilot, I'm now more aware of feelings. I'm more aware of things going on and I can take action in accordance with that or not act in accordance with that. Now, that has allowed me to be more emotionally stable. And that, along with stoicism, has allowed me to be more emotionally stable and emotionally even. I don't have highs. I don't really have lows. It's hard to get me angry. Um, And with that, with equanimity, right, comes ease of action. You want to define that for people because you over here. Equanimity. No, it's, it's not even, it's not a big word. Equanimity is just the state of being in a, let me just look it up. Cause it's just like being in a very even mind state and I don't want to like mess. Okay, here we go. Mental calmness, composure, and an evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. That is equanimity. Okay. That's the state I live in <laughs> like literally all the time. You know, but I like, but that's the thing. It's like, he also talks about emotional intelligence in the book too. I don't, it's like, I, I'm, I don't let myself, uh, like, I don't ever get angry or anything like that. It's just very diff. I don't, I don't have low lows or high highs of anger. I'm very aware when something is happening because I now have better awareness because of meditation. And instead of taking action based off of those states of emotion, I can then, you know, calmly have a conversation about something that may be making me feel uncomfortable or angry rather than having an outburst. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that is massively helpful. He also talks about exercise being beneficial, actually being healthy. He talks about sleep, all those things are necessary. Um, but I do think a big thing is not just working on your body, but working on the mental state. Your mental state is going to be a big deal in you being able to achieve flow in anything you do. Because you think about a lot of individuals that like do athletic things. Let's let's. I'm going to bring it back to jujitsu. If an individual is never able to experience flow in jujitsu, it's because maybe a lot of things are going on in their mind that's distracting them. They're thinking, "Oh, well, are people looking at me right now while I'm rolling?" Or, mm-hmm. "Oh, what's going on here?" Or, oh, maybe maybe they're stressed from other things in their life. And they can't let it go when they're rolling. When I roll, I'm not thinking of literally anything. Like I do have a lot of stress in my life. There are a lot of things I have to deal with on a daily basis, but when I'm doing work, when I'm doing jujitsu, I'm able to just put all those things into the side and focus on the present moment. And focusing again on the present moment is another one of those things that allows people to achieve flow. Rather than thinking about all the things that are going on around you and all the things that you have to do, can you be present? Can you not be thinking about the future? Can you not be thinking about the past? Can you just be present in the moment doing the things that you need to do? That is another very big aspect of it. I think for personally, for me, those are the biggest aspects of being able to achieve flow. I'm always present in the moment with what I am doing and who I am with. Um, I'm 
because of meditation, I have awareness and I can live in equanimity. Uh, and I do take care of my body and my health. So I'm more in tune with these things. Right. I think the two other ones that really spoke to me was he mentioned the necessity to do tasks that are neither too easy or too hard for you. You remember that? Mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, whoa. So, So for those who are listening, it's like, you don't want to do things that are too easy for you and you become bored. Because when mm-hmm. you're bored, what do you want? You're going to fill your boredom with distractions. So you're going to be talking to people, you're playing music, you're doing all these other things that takes you away from the task at hand. But you don't want to do things that are too hard either because when you do that, you might become overwhelmed and you feel like you don't have the skills necessary to get the certain activity done in a short amount of time. So Mm -hmm. you get distracted again, because you're like, well, it's gonna take me some time. Let me come back to this. Let me take a break. You're gonna do all these other things to get you away from what you're doing. So you wanna take things that are kind of in that beautiful um, challenge to skill ratio. And the thing that I'm actually gonna try that's actually applicable for me is I try to either work in silence or I'll play music Um, depending on whatever I'm doing. But I realized recently that when I play music, um, I'm playing a playlist. And if I like the song, my attention shifts from what I'm doing to the song. Oh, let me make sure I save this for a playlist or or Mm. send this to a friend. I get distracted. Um, When it's silent, sometimes I might be getting a lot of things done, but then I could also get distracted in that space too. He was like, play the same song over and over. I think you might do this, but I've never really thought I do. do I play a song on repeat. I have one song on a repeat and it just goes over. And it's a song that I I, I play a song that I really like. I just have that song going over and over and over and over. And then at that point it becomes background noise. Exactly. Focus. Plug in. And I've never done that. I thought that was brilliant. Something I could just do literally right after this call when I have work to do, I'm just gonna play some of repeat. You mm-hmm. had something you got excited about. What were you about to say? So, oh man, okay. We had this guy, Dr. Stu McGill, okay? He's um, he's like the, the back expert in the world, the number one, mm. number one. Like, like, you can't go to Stu McGill and you can't like really go to Stu McGill unless you are the elite of the elite as far as athletes in the world. Mm. Go to every, every other back expert. But if you come to Stu McGill, number one, you're top at the top. Number two, you're dealing with things that a majority of these other experts have not been able to deal with. So we talked to Stu, right? And he right. talked about this concept, which is the exact same thing that we're talking about right now. It's called density of neural drive. Density of neural drive is doing something um, enough Right. And to and building it to such a high level that your uh, the pathways or the like the pathways in your mind when you're setting up uh, connections for doing said work thicken, they literally thicken. Right. And they become resilient. So it's much easier for you to do these things better and better, potentially faster and faster, lift weights uh, with more power because you're building that neural drive. Correct. One of the greatest power lifters of all time, Ed Cohn. Okay. And Stu McGill uses Ed Cohn as a great example. And Ed is a great example because Ed became so strong because in training, while he was training, he would never fail a lift. 
Now, you think about people that do powerlifting, they're doing heavy deadlifts, heavy squats. You sometimes see videos of people failing in the gym because they do things that are too hard. They work with weights that they have no use working with because they're not strong enough yet, right? right. Ed Cohn was, was famous for saying he only probably failed two lifts within two or three lifts within his whole training career in training. He never failed any lifts outside of that, right? Because he was always brushing upon something that was just hard enough for him to do, but wasn't too hard where he would fail. And it wasn't so easy that he wouldn't make progress. It was hard enough where it'd be just the right stimulus for him to challenge himself, but not the not such a hard stimulus where he couldn't make progress. Now, Stu put this in such beautiful words. Uh, Ed was building... Through this, Ed was continuing to refine positive engrams in his mind. Okay, um, an an engram is like a a uh, it's like a, an archetype of what something is supposed to look like. Okay, mm -hmm. so Ed was continuously reiterating, "This is the way this is supposed to look." What do you think about you continuing to fail a lift? You build a bad habit of having bad lifting mechanics having bad lifting setup because now you're 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 anxious and you're you're not being successful so you build those bad engrams in terms of you have a consistency of failing and that consistently the consistency of failing is going to lead you to utterly get injured or quit it's just going to lead down a bad road but ed was continuing to build the engram of consistent success he would brush up something just difficult enough right where he would now succeed and boom new progression, he, he just re refines that engram over and over and over and over again to a place where now Stu spoke about this dark place that high level athletes go to when they need to do a, a crazy difficult lift, right? You, if you watch some of the best Olympic lifting videos or powerlifting videos or any, any like just any world record of whatever, Mm -hmm. see that a lot of the times when you look at the faces of these athletes, they look empty. Like they look like they're in a different place. Mm -hmm. um, the Russians are famous for kind of having a heavy tongue and becoming very calm, picturing nothing, and then doing something just, just absolutely like they're in flow. Right. It's mm -hmm. just reactive. It's 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 all of their culmination of training going into one specific movement, but they don't look like they're stressed about it. They look mm -hmm. like they're just enjoying it. They look relaxed. They're not angry. There's no emotion. They're just in it. They're present. That is flow. And he put it in a way where like like that's what I feel whenever I do jujitsu. There's no emotion. It's almost like you have the ability to kill someone is what Stu said. And I feel that way, too, when I'm in it. I have the ability to kill someone. I'm not feeling any type of emotion. I'm just going with it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that that's really interesting. Like that, that whole idea of being having it be just difficult enough where you can make progress. And again, let's bring it back to why jujitsu is so effed up. Because at the beginning, you don't have the control to make things just hard enough. Everything is just too hard. <laughs> Right, That's right. why it's so difficult. Everything is just way too hard and you can't you can't modulate the the, the amount of things that are coming your way. You just kind of it's like it's like you're 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 on a on a beach and you're continuously that the tide is 
hitting you and then it goes back and then the tide hits you again and you're just getting drowned and you've kind of come up for air and then you're getting drowned again. That's right. what it's like. That's why it's so messed up. And that's why people don't stick. <laughs> with lifting, you can control that. In the gym, you can control the weight you move with. Mm -hmm. You can't with jujitsu, bro. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's why, um, who am I thinking of? Uh, who wrote Discipline? We read oh, that Jocko. book. Thank you, Jocko. Mm -hmm. um, that's why he calls jujitsu kind of the hardest martial art there is. And he said, if you... They always ask him, what martial arts should I start with? He always says jujitsu because of what it puts you through and not just uh, physically, but mentally and how it kind of changes the way you approach other things in your life. Because now you have a different like mental capacity. It's like we talk about, you know, this physical chess, right? Or this like... um jujitsu being like this chess game you're doing with your body and mm -hmm. now like you said you take the emotions out of it you could take that same approach and apply it to your work um your relationships obviously you're not going to look at it like all right i'm just playing chess with this person right it's not a psychological <laughs> game i'm going to trick them into doing what i want me want them to do <laughs> but uh, you, you you begin to like predict a few different things um and try to anticipate how somebody might react. And in turn, you change yourself. Like, I'm not gonna yell because I can see they're gonna do this. Let me try to back off and be calm or do this and do that. So mm -hmm. um, so what's maybe one or two takeaways that you might mm -hmm. have for folks? You had one more thing though. You had the brushing that you, you mentioned, okay, making sure that you do something. Oh, was it making sure that you do something difficult enough and repeating music? Was it those two things? Those are, yep, those are the two okay. things for me. Okay, 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 gotcha. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think my takeaway um, was how important flow is. And I never thought of it being important for my work. So now I think the takeaway is trying to think about triggers and trying to think about how do I cultivate a space in which I can get work done much more effectively um, not because I'm using more of my brain, but I'm using less of it and I'm just doing things. And because I'm just doing things, I'm getting a better result. I'm having more fun. I'm interested. I'm passionate and ultimately get better results. So I think that instead of trying to work harder, it's like working smarter by putting myself in a place where I can actually win and trying to think about work and thinking about lifting or thinking about DJing in a different way. So mm -hmm. I think that that was a big takeaway. And I really like this read. Um, I would rate it. I would actually give this a nine just because, um, you know, Yay. this was something that was, was new for me. So what about you? What's the takeaway and what would you rate it? Yeah. So I will, I will say something. I think that personally, because I was able to like, there have been times in powerlifting, like, because again, I had the habit of meditation and all of that. You know, when I hit 755 in my powerlifting meet, I was just standing in front of the bar with my eyes closed. Mm -hmm. I achieved a flow there because I've never hit that type of weight before. The best type of weight that I hit before I hit that 755, which when it was seen was extremely fast. It looked like I could have lifted 800 on that day. Mm -hmm. um, and before that, I only the best thing I ever did was like 715 and it was really difficult, right? Mm -hmm. So... 
I think that people should try to find a physical outlet that they can get good enough with and to build enough skill with that they can feel what physical, I, this is my personal feeling. I think that being able to feel what physical flow is like is going to make it much easier for you to take the application of getting into that state, into that physical flow state. You can then take what you've done there and apply it to the work you do. Maybe there are some people that are just so good at something that they can achieve flow within their work. But even Stephen Kotler, he's into a lot of like surfing and all of this type of stuff. And he's achieved that type of flow state with those physical things, which has then allowed him to take that and apply it to writing because he's a voracious writer and creator, right? And now he can then meld that same mind and that same uh, ability into what he does as far as his work is concerned. So my encouragement to people, whoever's listening to this would be, think of maybe a physical outlet that you would want to get really good at this. I'm not saying you got to become world-class. I'm just saying, think of something physical that you would want to become really proficient with. This could be jujitsu. This could be lifting weights. This could be, shoot, if you want to get a pole and start doing some pole fitness, honestly, if you get good enough on a pole, you could probably, I'm just being real. I could, I could see some girls twirling around a pole in a flow state and she's probably just loving her life. I'm being real. Sure. Too, I'm not like, it's, it sounds funny, but pole fitness first off is a real thing, but I can see someone actually achieving a state of just flow within that because women, like not just women, dancers, achieve flow within dancing. No, I'm not talking about strippers now. Dude, I'm not talking about strippers. You're talking about strippers. And you're talking about people. I can't keep I'm a talking about, I'm talking about people <laughs> I'm that are dancing. I'm thinking about strippers and I'm thinking about- No, no, no. I was talking about Atlanta pole fitness. Right I was thinking oh, okay. about pole fitness, uh -huh. okay, not strippers. I was thinking of pole fitness. And when I, I then mentioned it. dancers, I was talking about like dancers, like classical dancers, salsa, or you know, people that move their body and dance. Dancers are able to achieve a state of flow um, with the amount of skill that they've been able to achieve within that. People who play instruments, people who are so good at guitar or whatever, are able to achieve the state of flow from this physical thing, right? I do think that having a physical outlet that you're really good at is going to be something that really helps you be able to learn what this feels like. I don't think it's absolutely necessary, but I think it's massively helpful. So that would be the, that would be something that I would just encourage people to try to find and do. And really when you, like, I feel like you should get this book, go through it, work through it. If you're, if you're a person who's trying to figure out kind of what road you want to go down and you've been struggling with that, this book will help make you think it'll make you right. And it will make you work for it. It will make you really think and work for it. And if you're willing to put in the effort, this one's for you. I love it. I think it's a great place to, uh, you know, get yourself going in that direction. I'm gonna give it a 10. That's awesome, man. You want to take us out? I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of We Don't Know Yet, the podcast where you can learn something every day with another book review, The Impossible Game by Stephen Kotler. It was a good one. And um, I hope you guys take advantage of it. Follow us on socials, WDK Yet on Instagram. Um, we Don't Know Yet on Facebook and all that good stuff. Uh, and if you guys want to message us, just DM either of us. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know what you thought of the book that I really hope you take advantage of and read. And we'll talk to y'all soon. Peace.